are just names. But Lord, I pray that as your word is alive, that it would, Lord, resonate in our hearts right now to where, Father, we make application. That, Father, that you speak to us and that it wouldn't just be an intellectual Bible study, but very spiritual and, and drawing us close to yourself. And, Lord, we desire to hear your voice and be encouraged tonight through your word, how we can enter into the fullness and into the blessings that you have for us as we trust in you, as we walk in obedience, as we just step out in faith for what you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We have seen since chapter 10 the children of Israel in their conquest of the land that they took the southern conquest, as we saw. In other words, the Canaanite kings, they banded together to try to stop the children of Israel because they had heard how they defeated Jericho and Ai and, and the Gibeonites had made a covenant with them. And even though they banded together, they were defeated soundly. It would be the northern conquest again that those Canaanite kings came together. They tried to stop the children of Israel. They had horses and chariots. But the Lord told Joshua, don't be afraid, for I'm going to give you this land, and you're going to drive out those inhabitants. So we've seen that they conquered a lot of the land. And what we're going to see here, and we've begun to see, is that there's a review of what we ended with last time, of the land that was given to the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, and half of the tribe of Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan River. That was their inheritance that we saw ever since the book of Deuteronomy. As they were on the east side there, it was those two and a half tribes that came to Moses and said, Moses, we really like it up here in this hill country. It'd be great for our cattle. And so the Lord said that that will be your inheritance, and then the rest of the nine and a half tribes are going to be on the west side of the Jordan River. We've already saw a review of the kings that were conquered in that area on the east side of the Jordan River. Now we're going to see that the land's going to be divided up. We're going to see the different allotments here. We're going to begin with Judah, which is down south, and that is going to be the largest of the land mass that they're going to have the inheritance as we go through chapter 15. And then we're going to start to look at Ephraim, the sons of Joseph, that is, and the half of the tribe of Manasseh, and begin to look at uh, some of these boundaries and things that are told to us. So chapter 15, we see, so this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, Judah, according to their families, the border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward was the extreme southern border uh, boundary. So as you look at that map there, and, and hopefully you can kind of see that Judah was down south. And, and as we go through this, I know that there's going to be a little bit of names and boundaries that we're going to read and stuff, but I think it's going to be very, very valuable to you as you're a student of the Word of God because a lot of Christians, as they go through the Old Testament, they really don't understand what are the 12 tribes of Israel? Um, what are the allotments? What are, um, you know, the different places? And they get confused when after the reign of Solomon and, and the nation split to the house of Israel up north, the 10 northern tribes. And then down south would be the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin that made up the southern part of uh, the um, nation of the house of Judah. They get very confused when they read about these things, and so it's very helpful to see how the 12 tribes settled in their area, their inheritance or their allotment that the Lord gave to them. So Judah encompassed a lot of the southern region. It went clear down, as verse 1 says, 
to the wilderness of Zin. Now you recall that in the children of Israel's one wilderness wandering, that they wandered in um, that wilderness, didn't they? And they would be in that area of the uh, wilderness of Sinai, the wilderness of Zin, as they would travel from place to place. They would come up to the border of the promised land. And so Judah would go all the way down to that wilderness. It's very dry in most of that area where the tribe of Judah is. Uh, it's, it encompasses much of what is called the Negev Desert, very mountainous, uh, very dry, very sparse vegetation in that area. So that's their allotment that would go up to the beginning of the hills of Judea. And so verse 2, their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea, or that is the Dead Sea, by the bay that faces southward. And then it went to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, passed along to Zin, ascended to the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around to Karkea. We know, we talked about um, Kadesh Barnea was the border of the Promised Land, the children of Israel, in the second year of their exodus, you recall they came to uh, Kadesh Barnea, and it was there that the spies were sent into the land, Numbers chapters 13 and 14. We've talked quite a bit about it. And that's where the spies would come back, and they would, ten spies, give a bad report saying there's giants in the land, um, there's inhabitants that are everywhere, the cities are mighty, the walls are up to heaven, there's no way that we're going to defeat the inhabitants there uh, in the promised land. And so the people began to murmur and complain. And that's where the Lord said, okay, this generation, because of their continued unbelief and because of their continued disobedience, they're going to die out here in the wilderness. And so it was only Joshua and Caleb, the other two spies, that said, so what if there's giants in the land? When they came back, and of course there was two of them carrying those large grapes, and they call it the Valley of Escal, where they got those grapes, which means the Valley of Clusters. Huge grapes that they're carrying on poles. I believe the two individuals that were carrying those grapes were Joshua and Caleb. And so they were the two that said, don't listen to those ten spies giving a bad report. God has given us the land. He wants us to go in. Forget about the giants. We'll defeat them. We'll gobble them up for lunch. And so the children of Israel would side with the ten spies. Only Joshua and Caleb, only those two that came out of Egypt, uh, that generation would come into the promised land. And I'm reminding you of that because Caleb is going to come up here a little bit later in this chapter. And so here's the borders as we continue uh, there in verse 4. And there it passed towards Asmon and went to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. And the east border was the Salt Sea as, the, as far as the mouth of the Jordan. And the border on the northern quarter began at the bay of the sea, the mouth of the Jordan. And the border went up to Beth Hoglah and passed north to Beth uh, Arabah. And the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Verse 7, then the border went up towards uh, Debar from the valley of Achar, and it turned northward towards Gilgal. Remember, Gilgal's been the place where they've kind of camped out in their main uh, place of operation during the time that they're taking the land uh, of Canaan. So it goes towards Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Adumim, which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued towards the waters of En Shemesh and ended at En Ragel. And the border went up in the valley of the son of Hinman, in the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinman, 
and westward, which is the end of the valley of Rephraim, northward. Then the border went around from the top of the hill, the fountain of the water of Nephtoah, and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron, and the border went around to Baalah, which is Kerjath Jerim. Now, Kerjath Jerim is a city that you see that Saul, when he became the first king of uh, Israel, when the children of Israel came to Samuel and said, We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. So Saul was selected. And Saul started out pretty good. He only had a few victories before he began to chase David. And he was rejected of the Lord because he wasn't obedient to the Lord. But one of the victories that Saul did have is, is rescuing the city of Kirjath-Jerim. So the people of Kirjath-Jerim would side with Saul because of his uh, rescue efforts in saving that city. So you see that mentioned in 1 Samuel, Kerjeth Jerim. Then verse 10, the border turned westward from Baala to Mount Seir, passed along the side of Mount uh, Jeram to the north, which is Chesalon, went down to Beth Shemesh, and passed on to Timnah. And on the border went out to the side of Ekron northward. The border went around to Sekron passed along Mount Baala and extended to Jabneel, and the border ended at the sea. And the west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families. And so you see there on the map, it encompasses a large area, clear over from the Mediterranean, over the Dead Sea, down throughout the Negev Desert. In verse 13, now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kerjeph Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Now you recall in, in the previous chapter that we ended with Caleb coming to Joshua. And he said, Joshua, you remember 45 years ago when the spies came back and you and I stood for the Lord. And it was the Lord that said that we're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. It was at that time that Moses said, because you wholly followed the Lord, Caleb, that you're going to get an inheritance. And that inheritance would be in that area of Hebron, which is in, in Judah, south of Jerusalem. And Hebron is a place that is, still exists today. Matter of fact, it is a trouble spot today where there's a lot of tension. And the reason is is because Hebron, I know you guys know this from your Bible study, is the place where Abraham's tomb is. You remember in Genesis that Abraham bought that plot of land, and he would buy it for his wife Sarah. He would be buried there, as well as, who else? Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah. Okay, not Rachel. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. So it was Leah that was buried with them. So, you know, there you have Hebron, which is mainly a Palestinian city. It's in the West Bank. And they claim that, that this is a holy site. And, of course, it's an important site for the Jews as well. And so there can be a lot of tension there. At this time uh, that, that Joshua was conquering the land, it was a stronghold for the Anakins, or that is the giants. And we saw that it was Caleb that said to Joshua that Moses said, that I get that inheritance, and I want that mountain. I want that city, Hebron. And so I'm as strong as I was 45 years ago. At this time, Caleb's 85 years old. So he took that. He drove and defeated the giants. Some of the giants would end up going to that area of the Philistines along the coast there. 
and along the coast, the Philistines eventually would become stronger, and that's where, of course, Goliath would come from, the giant Goliath. That's all because of this. It's all because Anakin's weren't completely destroyed. Some of them were driven over to the area of the Philistines. So those giants continued up until the time that David would have to fight those giants. And you need to understand that it wasn't just David that defeated one giant and there was one giant left, that it was David's mighty men that also defeated the giants. It's interesting that it says, according to Saul's soldiers, they never defeated a giant. And I find that intriguing. David's mighty men did. And it goes to show that you will end up becoming a lot like who it is that you follow. And you recall in that story, and I don't want to get sidetracked, but just a real quick interesting note, that you remember in that story of 1 Samuel, when Goliath was coming out and he was saying, who's going to come out and who's going to challenge me? And he was doing that for a number of days. And it says that the armies of Israel just shook and they trembled. And it says that Saul was exceedingly afraid. And I think the reason that he was is because everybody was looking to Saul and saying, you're head and shoulders above everybody else. Why don't you go out and fight him? And he wouldn't do it. And it was little David that came along, wasn't even old enough to be in the Israeli defense forces. And he came out and he said, you're going to listen to this guy defile the armies of the Lord. And he goes out and defeats Goliath. So this is Hebron where Anakin was. Arba was the largest of the, the Anakins. And so he takes Hebron in verse 14, he drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Sheshai and Ahaman and Talmai, the children of Anak. And they went up from there to the inhabitants of Debur, formerly the name of Debur was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give as Akesh, my daughter, his wife. So Othanel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave him Akesh, his daughter, his wife. Now so it was, so when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So here is Caleb. He says, Listen, boys, I got one more city that I need to take, Debar. And if any of you take that city... I'm going to give you my daughter as, as wife. And so it was Othanel that said, that sounds pretty good to me. And he goes for it and he takes the bar. We're going to see Othanel mentioned in Judges chapter 3 as one of the judges of Israel shortly after this time. And so he's going to end up being a leader there in Israel. He gets Akish as a wife. And Akish, Caleb's daughter, comes to her father and her father says, what do you want? What is it that you wish? And she says, you've given me the Southland. It's dry, it's barren land, and I want some water. So she gives him the upper springs and the lower springs. Listen, if you get anything tonight, it's this. That every single one of us that we go through a season where it's dry and it's barren, don't we? And we go through those times where we feel spiritually that Lord, I need to be refreshed and renewed. And what you and I are to do at those times, and we all go through it, maybe tonight you're here and you're going through that time, is that you go to your Heavenly Father, and He says, what is it that you wish? Lord, I need to be refreshed. I need to be renewed. And allow Him to fill you 
with that living water, that the Holy Spirit to refresh you and renew you. You see Jesus there in John's Gospel. He was there at the temple. It was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, you guys know about it because we've looked at it here in the Old Testament. It was to commemorate how the Lord brought them through the wilderness and how the Lord provided for them. It was manna that came from heaven and water that came from the rock. And so it was the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, and it would be the fathers that would come to Jerusalem with their sons, and they would sleep in tents. It was like a big camp out. It was the most festive of uh, the major feasts that they would celebrate. And so they're out there looking at the stars, remembering how the Lord brought them through the wilderness into the, the land that he's given to them. It was to commemorate how God provided for them water and food. And on the last day of the feast, what they would do, according to the writings that we read about, um, is the priests there from the temple of Jerusalem, they would travel all the way down to the Pool of Siloam. When we do go to Israel, we'll stand on the Mount of Olives, we'll show you where the temple was, we'll show you where the Pool of Siloam was, where the old city of Jerusalem, the walls surrounded it, where that man went that was born blind in John chapter 9, where he had to walk from the temple clear down to the pools to get water. But they would walk down there, they would fill up their jugs full of water, the priests, they would come back up the hill to the temple, and they would take those pots and they would pour out the pots of water on the pavement there, symbolizing and commemorating that once they came into the promised land, that the water stopped from the rock and that the Lord provided for water for them as they took the land and as they possessed the land. You see, it was at that time where Jesus stood up and said, and he cried out to the crowds, if any of you thirst, come to me and drink. And out of your bellies will flow torrents of living water. And he, of course, was speaking of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that we see in John's Gospel emphasized over and over again. The Lord said to the Samaritan woman, Listen, if you drink of that well, Jacob's well, you're going to be thirsty again. If you drink of the living water that I have to give, you'll never thirst again. If you're thirsty tonight spiritually, you're feeling barren and dry, Jesus says, Come to me. It's the Father that says to you, what do you wish? And as you cry out to him, Lord, I need to be refreshed and renewed. Just fill me. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. That's a prayer that the Lord loves to hear. And as we go to the source, and that's the important thing. See, it's springtime. Some of you are telling me you've been working outside. And I love this time of year because it's really starting to feel like spring. And we get anxious and we want to get out in the yard and, and mow. And we want to trim the trees. We want to work the flower beds and get the gardens ready and all of this, and we get thirsty on a day like today. And when we get thirsty, we don't go out to the garden, get a handful of dirt and shove it in our mouths, do we? We don't do that. We go inside and we get a glass of water or we get a drink from the hose or whatever it might be. And yet people and even Christians make the mistake that when they're feeling dry spiritually and, and, and barren, they go to other sources other than the Lord. And the Lord is saying, come to me. Come to me to be refreshed and renewed. And that's what Jesus was saying to the Samaritan woman, that if you drink of the living waters, you'll never thirst again. It was what he was trying to tell the crowds up there in the Galilee region. That as they were looking for him after defeating the 5,000 there in Capernaum, he said, you're only looking for me because you're hungry again. You need to seek that food which never perishes. I am the bread of life that comes from heaven. 
And if you eat of me and drink of me, you'll never hunger and thirst again. And he's talking about a close, intimate relationship and fellowship with him is what he was speaking about. And that is such a key for you and for me to be refreshed is you stay close to the Lord and you go to the source that's going to renew you and fill you and refresh you. And so we learn from Akish, who went to her father, and we can go to our father as well as we are refreshed in the things of the Lord. So the cities of Judah are mentioned here in verse 20 through verse uh, 62. I thought I'd ask for a volunteer for somebody to come up and read all these names, um, but I won't do that. And again, I'm not going to read all these, these names. You can go through it. You can do your own study. You can look at it. Some of these names may be familiar, but we're going to go ahead and skip those names, all these cities that are there in these uh, verses here. So let's go to verse 63. For as the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Interesting. The Jebusites were on that area that would be known as Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would not be taken till almost 400 years later when David took it. So here are the Jebusites that inhabited what is Jerusalem that would be God's holy city. And for some reason, they could not drive them out. And, and that intrigues me, because you remember that in the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses has given them the law, he said, listen, you've had the tabernacle here in the midst of the camp, and they would tear the tabernacle down, and they would break camp, and they would stop when the pillar of cloud stopped, and they would set up the tabernacle again in the midst of the camp. Now you guys are going to go into the promised land. You're going to be spread out everywhere. So there's going to be one prescribed place where you're going to come and worship and celebrate the feast and you're going to sacrifice. That place would, of course, later on be Jerusalem. But that didn't happen, and the temple wasn't built till after the death of David, where Solomon built the temple. But David is the one that conquered that piece of hill that would be known as Mount Moriah or also known as Jerusalem. But that didn't get accomplished till 400 years later, and here they did not take the Jebusites were dwelling there. They did not drive them out for whatever reason it might be. And one of the things that we're going to see as we continue on here is we're going to see that it's going to be those tribes now, that they're getting their allotments. Now it's their responsibility. The whole nation came together. Even those fighting men on the east side of Reuben, Gav, and half of the tribe Manasseh was told to join in and help the brethren as they take the, the promised land. You remember that? So it's all this, this army of the children of Israel together. Now that they're getting their inheritance, now each tribe is going to be responsible for their inheritance, for their allotments, to drive out the rest of the Canaanites. And what we're going to see is constantly is said, they did not drive out all of the Canaanites. They did not drive out all the Canaanites. They did not drive out all the Canaanites. God told them to do that. They're instructed by Joshua to do that, but they didn't do that. There's compromise. We're going to talk about that and see that as we continue on. So now it's chapter 16. The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains of Bethel. You remember Bethel? Bethel was a very important place in the Old Testament where Jacob was confirmed the covenant that this is going to be given to you and your descendants. Bethel called the house of God. And Bethel later on in their history would become a place of idol worship um, after the nation split 
to the house of Israel. So they went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along the border of Archites at Ataroth, and went down westward to the boundary of the Saphatites, as far as the boundary lower Beth Horon to Gezer and to the end of the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. Remember Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, had two sons. They were Manasseh and they were Ephraim. They are part of the 12 tribes of Israel. You might get a little bit confused. Just a quick reminder that there's 13 tribes actually listed, 12 tribes that are taking uh, the allotments, the one tribe that didn't is the tribe of Levi. All right, they're the priestly family. They're going to get 48 cities that we'll see later on. They're not given an inheritance. The Lord said, you're my inheritance. They're the ones that are going to minister at the temple, at the tabernacle, which is going to be at Shiloh. And so they're not given an allotment of land. The other 12 are. So that's where you get 13. So really, there's 13 tribes. The tribes of Levi is not included in the 12 tribes that get land. And so Joseph having two, Manasseh and Ephraim, are included. The border of the children, verse 5, of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. The border of their inheritance on the east side was Ataroth, Adar, as far as Upper Beth Horon. And the border went up towards the sea, the north side of Mechathath. And then the border went around eastward to Tehanath, Shiloh and passed it by it on the east of Janhoha, and then it went down from Janhoha to Ataroth and Neira and reached to Jericho and came out at the Jordan. And the border went out from Tapua westward to the brook Cana, and it ended at the sea. And that, this was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim according to their families. The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt to Gezar, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and become forced laborers. Now notice in verse 10 here, as the border of Ephraim is given, you can see here their border up there. Hopefully you can see it just north of where Judah is. Very beautiful in that area, very hilly, um, uh, very mountainous. Uh, very uh, much prosperous in agriculture in the Jericho Valley. And um, so it's a very beautiful allotment that they got. And it's interesting that as we look at it, it says they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt at Gezer. And so it was the Canaanites that they didn't get driven out. And they were given to forced labor. In other words, they ended up becoming slaves to the children of Israel. I think there's a compromise there, isn't there? They could have driven them out because if they made them forced laborers, surely they could have driven them out like they were supposed to, right? Maybe it was more convenient for them to be forced laborers. And the reason that I mention that is because of this. It's because those things that need to be driven out of our lives, that the Lord tells us to, we need to say, Lord, help me drive all those things out. Not to leave anything for convenience. Not to leave those inhabitants that are there when you've told me that those things of the flesh and of the world, the Lord, are to be driven out. Help me to do that. Because what we're going to see here is we're going to see that's going to be mentioned over and over again. They did not drive out all the inhabitants. They did not drive out the inhabitants. It's going to end up 
at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua is saying, listen, if you don't do this, they're going to be a sword to your eyes, a thorn to your side. They're going to be a big problem to you. You flip the page at the end of the book of Joshua, and sure enough, there's a book of Judges. And the book of Judges is they continue to compromise with the Canaanites, and then all of a sudden, they begin to worship the gods of the Canaanites. So it's real important for us, another principle that we have seen very clearly, that if we want to enter really into the fullness and the blessings that the Lord has for us, to, to do what it is that the Lord has called us to do. Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Joshua did all that the Lord commanded him. We've read that over and over again. And for you and for I to say, Lord, help me to walk in that obedience, to drive out those things that caused me to carnal out, to flesh out, that, that caused me to pull away from you, help me not to get involved with the poles of the world, whatever it might be. Help me to drive out those inhabitants, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't do it yourself. But it's the work that God wants to do in our lives as we yield to him and as we surrender fully to him. So they didn't drive them out. They could have, but they didn't. So chapter 17, there was also a lot of the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. So we've seen half of the tribe of Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan River. This is the other half on the west side. So namely, Machar, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war, therefore he was given Gilead and Bashan. And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, the children of Abizur, the children of Halak, the children of Azrael, and children of Shechem, the children of Hepher, and the children of Shemedah, and these are the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. Verse 3, But Zelohephad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Micar, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters, and these are the names of his daughters, Mela, Noah, Hagla, Melchah, and Tezra. And they came before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the nun, the son of Nun, and before the ruler, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Does this ring a bell with you? Remember Numbers? I'm sure you do. Chapter 27. When we looked at the inheritance laws, and it was there that this man, uh, Zelophehad, he had no sons and he had five daughters. And the daughters came to Moses and said, Listen, Dad didn't have any sons. When we go into the promised land, do we get an inheritance? Moses said, good question. So he went and asked of the Lord. The Lord said, you tell them that they do get an inheritance. We saw in the book of Deuteronomy that further instructions were given. And that was, is that you ladies, you daughters who are going to receive your father's inheritance, what you are to do is you are to marry within your tribe. If you marry outside of your tribe, then that inheritance will go and pass on to your husband and to that tribe and belong to them. So very specific instructions. So they receive an inheritance. They're told to marry within their tribe. That is the tribe of Manasseh uh, on the west side. And that's what they were to do. So that's what this is about. So verse 5, 10 shares fell to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the territory of Manasseh was from Ashar to Mechmethath, that lies east of Shechem, and the border went along the inhabitants of An Tapua, and Manasseh in the land of Tapua, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. In verse 9, the border descended to the brook Canaan, 
southward to the brook, these cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook, and it ended at the sea. Southward, it was Ephraim's. Northward, it was Manasseh, and the sea was its borders. Manasseh's territory was adjoining um, Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. In Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Bethshean and its towns. Bethshean is going to be a place that we're going to stop in Israel. Bethshean is interesting, and the Old Testament comes up, particularly in a couple places, but most notably that Bashian, there where Manasseh was on the west side, very beautiful, nestled right there in the hills looking over the Jordan Valley, is um, the place where Saul was killed on Mount Gilboa and his son Jonathan. Well, the Philistines took, chopped off the head of Saul, took his armor, put it in the, the, um, the, uh, the temples of their pagan gods, but they took the body of Saul and pinned them on the wall of Bashian. So it was the city, the inhabitants of Kerjef, Jerim, that I talked about, that came and took Saul and buried him and gave him a proper burial. So that's how all this is kind of connected together as, as you read about these things. But Bashian, it's the, the Old Testament Bashian, there's not a whole lot to see. It's a tell. What a tell is, when you go throughout the land of Israel, these cities are, you know, 3,000 years old. Um, Bashian is over 3,500, probably 4,000 years old because it's a city here that the Canaanites had had till the children of Israel took it. So what would happen is those cities would be destroyed. They kind of bury it, and then they build on top of it, and you have these mounds. Jerusalem was destroyed and rebuilt 16 times. So that's what a tell is. And so, you know, city destroyed. And so there's this big hill and if you're really energetic, we have the young people run up to the top of the hill and look around, take some pictures, and come down. But it ended up being a Roman city down below. And the Romans built this beautiful city. It's got amphitheaters. It's got beautiful marble walkways that we walk through and huge pillars. And an earthquake came through there and destroyed it all. So they've done a huge excavation there at Bashan, and we'll stop and look at that. And so um, just a little... little thing to encourage you if you can go to go. So Bashian mentioned um, the other towns there. Notice in verse 11, Megiddo and its towns. Megiddo, sound familiar to you? It crosses over the valley of Megiddo up until the hills where Megiddo sat. Megiddo is a place that where Solomon had some of his stables. We'll go to Megiddo and we'll see where Solomon had his stables. He had 300 horses there. Now you remember in the book of Deuteronomy that the Lord said when you have a king, he's not to multiply gold, he's not to multiply wives, and he's not to multiply horses. Solomon had stables all over the place. This one that we'll see excavations of there at Megiddo, he had 300 horses. It's like having three, you know, hundred um, Royal Royces or Mercedes or whatever it might be. He wasn't supposed to multiply horses or gold or wives. He did all three. Also, Megiddo is the place where the last world war is going to take place, isn't it? And we'll overlook the valley there and we'll see that this is where the culmination of all things are going to come before Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. What I like to do is live, let you just stand there and just look over the valley and think about that. That future prophetic word given to us is this is where the last world war is going to be. 
right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, as the nations of the world will meet in the valley of Jezreel, the valley of Megiddo. And you look across that large valley there. Napoleon said it was the best place in the world to have a, have a battle with chariots. And in that, we see the kings of the north will come down. The kings of the east will come in. The Antichrist and his forces will come up. Jerusalem will be this, surrounded, as Zechariah chapter 14 tells us. Half of Jerusalem will fall into captivity. And that's when the Lord is going to come back. He's going to deliver his people. He's going to save Jerusalem according to the prophecies. And he will destroy those armies that turn to fight against Jesus. He will simply speak, Revelation chapter 19. A sword will come from his mouth. The word of God is like a two-edged sword. He will speak and those armies will be destroyed. Jesus said if he hadn't come back, that man would have destroyed himself. We know that in the valley there in Jerusalem, next to Jerusalem, that it says that the blood will flow as high as a horse's bridle. Very sobering to stand there. And I pray that no one in this room, that you're putting your hope and your trust in the world. Because I'll tell you tonight what the Word of God has to say. Not what I say, but what God has to say. That is going to be the culmination of what the world's going to come to. Where man is going to gather in such rebellion against God and the things of God and almost destroy himself. And, and in that last war, and it's when Jesus Christ will come back and establish his kingdom, that's when things will be set right. So where do you want to put your priority? You want to put it in the world? Or do you want to put it in the kingdom of God? And I know that you guys are saying, I want to put it in the kingdom of God. But folks, don't lose sight of that. I really believe that we are seeing the culmination of things come together more quickly that is pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ. Absolutely incredible. We're seeing events come to pass that a few years ago we would think, you know, how could this be? We're seeing the events of the Middle East, things happening with Israel. We're seeing other things happening that is leading to a worldwide economic system, a worldwide governmental system. We're seeing it rapidly come exactly as the Scripture says. It's amazing. You can read the newspaper and you read the Bible right next to each other, it seems like, more and more. God's Word is true. God's Word is true. These things that the angel told John as he wrote the book of Revelation that these things you write that must come to pass. He didn't say they might come to pass or probably or they could come to pass or this is a possibility. Write these things down that must come to pass and Revelation chapter 16 tells us that the culmination of the last war where the armies of the world will come together is here at Megiddo mentioned in verse 11. You prioritize the kingdom of God and the things of God. May we be watching and waiting. May we be sober and vigilant. May we be looking for the soon return of Jesus Christ. He says, you watch, you be wise, and you be the faithful servant. Don't get distracted by the things of the world. You know why? Because it's going to blow up. It's going to blow up, and it's going to burn up, and it's going to go away. And I understand we enjoy doing things in the world. I understand we got jobs in the world. I understand all those things. But listen, you prioritize the things of the Lord in the kingdom of God.
And as you do, you'll be looking for the Lord, and you'll be serving the Lord, and you'll find yourself being happy. You'll find yourself being blessed. And you'll find yourself having real purpose in life as you prioritize Him. So that's my prayer for all of us, that we would continue to do that. We want to quickly finish this chapter, verse 12. And the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they did not put the Canaanites, well, they did put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Same as it was with Ephraim. And then verse 14 through 18, we'll end there. The children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua answered him, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country, clear a place for yourself there in the land of parasites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are at Beth Shean and in its towns, and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people, and have great power. You should not have only one lot. But the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours, and for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though you have iron chariots and are strong. Very quickly here, important lesson for this. As the land continues to be divided up, the sons of Joseph come to Joshua. They say, we want more. We're a great people, and we're confined. And Joshua says, listen, if you're a great people, then this is what you need to do. And he says, you are a great people. You know, you guys are a great people. You really are. Because you belong to the Lord. But he says, this is what you do. You take care of what you have. You say you're too restricted in the mountains, you need to clear out the timber. You need to clear out the woods. And you can expand there, but you take care of what you have. Folks, you are a great people. I'm a great people, not in and of ourselves, but because we belong to the Lord. Take care of what you have. And you want to expand and you want to do things that spiritually for the Lord, you want to draw closer to the Lord, take care of what you have. You just drive out, you cut down, get rid of the old dead timber of your life. Just get rid of it. Get rid of it. And you be faithful to the place where God has you, an opportunity he's given to you. And then he says, You're a great people. You drive out those Canaanites. Sure, they have chariots. But you're a great people and you can do it because God's going to enable you to do it. And as you take care of what you have now and as you clear out the old timber of that stuff in your life that's confining you and keeping you from moving really forward and expanding in the things of the Lord, then as you do that, then you know what? You're going to see God's going to do greater things. And you're going to see the chariots that you face in life and the enemy that you face, that you're going to be able to have victory because the Lord is on your side. And Joshua is saying, listen, the Lord has given you a promise. Drive out those inhabitants. I don't care if they have iron chariots, but you take care of what you have, expand then, and then get down in the valley, and you drive out those Canaanites. You take care of what the Lord has given to you. Take care of it. Cut down the old dead timber. And then you watch the Lord give you more victory as you desire to move forward in the things of the Lord, entering into the fullness of his blessing, 
the fullness of the inheritance that he has for you and for me. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these wonderful chapters that we've gone over. We know it's not just a list of names and places, but, Lord, we have so much that we gain and glean from. Father, I pray that tonight, that just as the children of Israel, as the land's being divided up, did not take care of all the things and the inhabitants that they were to drive out the Canaanites, I pray that tonight, if any of us are here in this room, that we have not driven out those things that you've told us to. The Canaanite of our lives, the fleshly desires, the, the, the worldly things that we get so enamored with, <clears throat> that we would understand that you desire to, Lord, just bring us that victory and that blessing and that life abundance that you've promised us as we look to you, as we are refreshed by you, coming and asking you to just fill us with your spirit and with your love and to drive out with your help those things that are not pleasing to you, unlike you, the Lord, that you desire for us to do. And Father, I pray that tonight that we would make a decision as we continue to worship that, Lord, I need to clear out some dead timber in my life. I need to stop watching certain things. I need to stop certain attitudes that are in my life. I need to quit being lazy spiritually. Lord, I want to clear out those things that you've been convicting me of. And Lord, I want to take care of what you've given to me, where you have me right now, where you've placed me, and just be faithful. Be faithful to you. And Father, we thank you that it's you, a loving Father, that speaks to us in drawing us close to yourself and desiring to, for us to know how it is that we can enter into to possess what it is that you have for us in our lives. I pray that, Lord, that we would continue to just walk by faith, in obedience, staying close to you. Bless this time as we just continue the worship.